Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. And Luca, we are here to discuss a Bill's win, something that is much different than last week, and it was much needed for many of us. The Bills get their first win of the season, 38-10 to over the Las Vegas Raiders. It was the Bills' home opener. They won this game in Highmark Stadium, as I am one to do in these post-game slots that Bill's chat is in. My first question to you is, what were you thinking when that final whistle blew? Relief. It was, it was a sigh of relief. It was a sigh of, okay, this is the team we know it can be. Um, of course, you know, it, the game was the game itself, but it really didn't matter who they were playing and stuff like that. They just needed to have their performance like they did. And when the kneel downs were happening, there was just that silent little fist pump you know, among their high fives, among the friends in my living room that came over again today and kind of just that relief moment that, yes, these bills are, in fact, what we think they are and can be. And that Monday night performance was just what it was, what we all have talked to death about. And hopefully we can move on from it from there, because this was a great game to enjoy from start to finish for the most part. And um, it felt good. The bills kind of flexed their muscles today and, and they needed to because you know, I think going into this season, a lot of us believed that the Bills were a Super Bowl contender and one of the best teams in the league, but they had to show it. And what we saw on Monday night was a team that got a gift, gift wrapped to them four plays into the game when the best player on the other team, at least the most important one, goes out. And then Zach Wilson comes in and the Bills can't get that game to the garage, many of which had to do with self-inflicted wounds by Josh Allen. But... The Bills, in this matchup against the Raiders, we talked about it all week, it, they outclassed the Raiders offensively and defensively, but that just had to show. And it showed on both sides of the ball, but it did not start great, Luca. It actually kind of felt like that Bengals game in the playoffs last year where the Raiders come out, first play of the game was chef's kiss perfect. Ed Oliver walks Greg Van Roten into the backfield, tackles Josh Jacobs five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and you're like, oh man, this, this is fantastic. There's that... Bills defensive line advantage they have over the have over the um the Raiders that we've been talking about and then on second down the Raiders ran a screen the Bills defense acted like they hadn't seen a screen before in their lives <laughs> and then the Raiders chunk play chunk play chunk play touchdown to Devontae Adams and you're thinking okay well that wasn't ideal but we're still in the scripted portion let's see what Ken Dorsey has cooked up for these Raiders and what he had cooked up were two runs up the middle that went nowhere. And then Josh Allen running out of bounds, leading to a punt. I never got nervous. I, I In the back of my mind, I knew that these bills were better. I still felt good about the scenario. But at that point in time, Luca, and I know you want to talk about the reaction at the stadium. What were you feeling internally? What Was there some concern like, oh, no, this this might be might be concerning? Or where were you at? I feel like I preach it. To the point where it, I almost sound like that kook on the corner, but I will never and continue to never and forever will never let a first drive of either team affect me emotionally in any way other than celebration of a touchdown if the Bills were to have one. Because as I say time and time again, these are scripted plays. These are the plays of which coaching staffs and individuals have an entire week to game plan for and want to try to attack as best as they can to start on the front foot, of course. The Raiders, what they showed in that first drive is they clearly understood what they wanted to do early. They executed it well. 
Devontae Adams was a problem, as no one should be surprised by. The one that was odd was, like you said, it was like the Bills had never seen a screen or had never seen what a check down to a running back was before. There was almost like too soft of coverage on that. But overall, when that happened, and then as you kind of mentioned, the thing I also wanted to just question is the Bills go out there. It seems like what they had planned did not work by any stretch of the imagination. And then we even heard some boos appear from the crowd after the three and out, which what the hell? Like, are we serious? It's the first drive of the game. I can understand if you're upset with what you saw on Monday night, but this is a new game. You're at home. It's a typical one o'clock game. It's a beautiful day out, by the way. Absolutely gorgeous. Perfect day in Orchard Park. And you're going to boo them first drive out because they go three and out. Like, it's, it's awesome. It almost makes what transpired for the rest of the game even better that the team themselves didn't really let that get to him or maybe even possibly use that as a little bit of a motivation where it's like, okay, like let's relax out there. All 70 something thousand of you like comment the F down where we got this, we're good. We'll be fine. And they showed us that they were okay. But yeah, the first drive and stuff, I was not worried. It was just one of those things where it's like Josh McDaniels clearly had a good game plan, had a good understanding of how he wanted to attack the bills defense and where he wanted to attack it. And in, what fashion he did it worked very well even with that negative play to start which is there's the that was the one thing i said josh after their touchdown by the way i looked over to my buddy and just like it's crazy to think that that drive started with a negative five yard play like that was it it almost became forgotten about at that point in time because it was just so easy for them to just move all the way down the field and score so after the first drives overall me myself No worries whatsoever. I preach it all the time. They're first drives. These are planned drives and plans don't always go to plan, you know, and that's what happened with Dorsey and the Bills offense, of course, but clearly that's what happened for McDaniels. Good for them. They figured out a couple things, but then they kind of showed their true colors as the game progressed. And it was like, Hey, if you don't have a week to plan on what you want to do for all of 60 minutes, uh, you might run into some issues moving forward. The next time the Raiders took the field, it was, they were up seven, nothing. And they had another screenplay drawn up. And I'm telling you, Luca, I went back and watched this one. Had this one been completed, it would have gone for a long gain. There was no bill within sight of the intended target that I believe was Josh Jacobs, but Gregory Rousseau got a hand on the ball. It went up in the air and Terrell Bernard made a diving interception that absolutely flipped momentum. It flipped the script on the game and it set the bills up for this 38 to three avalanche. They were about to put on the Raiders for the rest of this game. We're certainly not going to go drive by drive here, but at that moment, Terrell Bernard, I think eased a lot of concerns of what people had about him coming into this because I went back and watched the game last week. I thought he played very well. Now, look, there were some moments when you could tell the Bills were having struggles getting lined up. That is to be expected. I thought there were several moments today where the Bills looked like they were having trouble getting lined up, including the very first play of the game where they looked like they were having trouble communicating, which is not super odd at home because you got to remember when you're at home, it's loud out there for the defense. So he's trying to communicate over the crowd noise. But Ed Oliver blew that play up. It didn't matter. But I thought Terrell Bernard was very sound in coverage last week. I thought he wrapped up well tackling. And then today, the instincts on that ball. Look, I don't think Terrell Bernard is the best player on this defense. I don't know if he'll ever be the best player on this defense. But Luca, two weeks in a row, he at least looks like he belongs. Um, Yeah, 
it, it, he doesn't, what I will say is he doesn't look like what we remember him to look like last season. He right. clearly looks like an individual that belongs in the NFL. He doesn't look like he's a full step behind, if not more. He doesn't look clueless. He doesn't look like he's just kind of a headless chicken running out there, just not knowing what his job is in the defense. This year is clearly a difference. He is clearly the individual I want, we want in there above a Dodson or any other option at middle linebacker at this point in time. Um, you still hear rumblings of Kirksey out there. Look, we brought in Kirksey, obviously, after cutdown and stuff like that. You know, that seems like a break glass in case of emergency situation, you know, based on injury or anything else moving forward, because Bernard is definitely playing OK. And we said going into the year, we didn't need that middle linebacker. We didn't need that Mike to be an individual that was the next Edmonds. We just needed him to play comfortably in a role surrounded by all pros, surrounded by Matt Milano, shot out mossing. Ah oh, man, I can't remember which running back it was in the situation, but man, oh, that was ja- that was Jacobs. That was, was it, Jacobs? Jacobs. Oh yeah, honestly, oh yeah, <laughs> just unbelievable. Moss because job. Raiders Twitter <laughs> was going nuts about Josh Jacobs looking disinterested, and it's like, no, he just he had no shot. <laughs> you don't expect yeah. somebody to come over your back and catch the ball on your face, right? But you're surrounded by your Milanos, yeah. your Poyers, your Hides, yeah. things like that. It's like we just need you to understand your job and be okay and comfortable in that role. And Bernard definitely fits that billing. He definitely fits that look like he knows what his responsibility is. He he looks comfortable in his own skin, I guess is the way to say. And that should be okay for all of us. Well, I don't want to bury the lead. We all know the story coming into this game. And look, if you paid attention to national media last week, I warned you not to on the post-game rant that I did. You heard Nick Wright claim victory in his Josh Allen stance that Welcome aboard the right side of the argument, everybody. Nick Wright has been telling you all along that Josh Allen is not a great quarterback, and now Josh Allen has proven to not be a good quarterback. You heard Stephen A. Smith, who, for as loud as he is, I do think his takes are generally more measured and generally more thought out, said that he trusts Tua and Justin Herbert to win a Super Bowl over Josh Allen, a segment that had Dan Orlovsky and Kim Martin losing their minds as it was playing out. It was the ultimate recency bias week as many members of the national media and regrettably many members of the fan base pretended like we did not have this overwhelmingly large body of work of Josh Allen being a productive NFL player and seemed to only remember the game we just saw compounded with turnover stats that have been a bit of a bugaboo for Josh Allen. But Luca, Josh Allen today played a chef's kiss perfect game, not only putting up 38 points on offense, not only having a ridiculous string of completed passes in a row, but doing what many of us wanted to see him do, particularly against a Raiders team that's defense is structured around not giving up the big play, second lowest defensive ADOT in all of 2022 last year. He took the profits. He took the checkdowns. He threw it out of bounds when the play wasn't there had a very, very economical 31 of 37, 274 yards, three touchdowns, only ran the ball three times for seven yards. I believe probably some kneel downs. No, no, that would have been Kyle Allen. So no kneel downs built in there. But Luca, everything you wanted to see from Josh Allen, you saw today. And I want to give Dorsey credit. But look, Josh Allen went out there and executed it. Admittedly, not against a great defense, but had to see it done and he got it done. Yeah, we we mentioned it in our pregame show. We just wanted to see Josh Allen 
go back to being the guy he we know he can be. And that doesn't necessarily mean we need him to be Superman. We just need him to be that top tier quarterback that we know he can be. And they're not eye popping numbers. It wasn't an eye popping performance for the most part out of Josh Allen, but it was extremely productive. It was effective. He knew exactly what he needed to do from start to finish. He executed perfectly. He was near perfect in my eyes on the day. I mean, as you mentioned there, he started 13 of 13. At one point, his first incompletion was the fourth and goal from the one on kind of a, uh, I don't even know how to describe that play. Throw that play out first and foremost. Secondly, it anyone that's like he didn't see digs, how could you not see digs? The offensive line was breaking down on him right yeah. off the snap, so he had to just make an extremely quick decision. Unfortunately, it wasn't the right decision, but obviously that was the first incompletion he had thrown on the day. So it's like that is extremely impressive in itself. That was at the uh, I haven't noted here 256 mark in the second quarter. Uh, and I was sorry, 256 left in the second quarter. So he almost had a perfect half. And, and that's that's exactly what we needed to say. I feel like I even kind of said it in a, a roundabout way on what I wanted to see out of Allen. That's exactly what you wanted to see off of that Monday night performance. Just something that looked like he is a comfortable quarterback understanding what he's doing when he what he's seen in front of him what is the best option time and again and not just kind of every once in a while throw those oh no throws or the you know 70 yard punts in the air just because you feel like it or that's just the first thing you saw and you know you can do it which Josh Allen can throw it 70 yards in the air while he's rolling out to the left we saw it literally on Monday night we don't need him to do that he didn't need to do that today and he did it perfectly and it was just such a happy site, such a welcome site. And I expect moving forward that this is kind of that first building block now where we can get back on track and Josh Allen can be the Josh Allen we know. And the national media can finally, you know, relax. I will say my one take on the national media aspect of everything too, before we move on, of course, the game was on ESPN on Monday night, of course, standalone and stuff. So when you hear your Stephen A's and stuff like that, of course, the national spotlights there. Nick Wright is with FS1, but like even your Stephen A, like I, I do feel like some of that is in production meetings. We need you to kind of lean in it, lean into this. We need you to kind of take this side in a way and then roll with it from there. Um, I do. I'm with you 100%. I think Stephen A is a little bit more educated in the way he handles himself. But at the same time, I do question the influence that's kind of with those takes, especially with ESPN when they themselves were the ones that broadcast. So you almost want to highlight what their product had already put out there for everyone to enjoy. And you want to just kind of feed the plenty, you know, feed the large group and not the minority and stuff like that, or say what needs to be said. And then you have the Orlovskis and whoever else to kind of steer kind of the other side of the ship kind of deal. But overall, I'm glad that we won't have to deal with that anymore moving forward, at least for now. And uh, we can move on understanding that Josh Allen is one of these games best. And he showed it this Sunday. He did show it. And his, his life is easier as is every quarterback's life easier when the running game is going and boy, oh boy, Luca was the running game going today as a team. The bills rushed for 183 yards. And in the past you could say, okay, that's fine. But how many of that was Josh Allen? Well, the answer is seven. The rest of it was James Cook, a career-high 123 yards rushing. He also added 36 on it through the air through four receptions. You had Damian Harris 
adding in 33 yards rushing and a touchdown. Latavius Murray, 22 yards rushing and a touchdown. I thought the run blocking was fantastic. I thought Spencer Brown popped multiple times. James Cook has an explosion that this offense just has not had with guys like Singletary and Moss. And if you want to go back a little further, Frank Gore. And it's the kind of back that you and I have been talking about for years where the amount of too high this team sees on a down-in, down-out basis, you can hand it to Devin Singletary, and he's going to get his cool-looking phone booth runs where he makes two or three guys miss, runs over a guy, but at the end of the day, it's going to really only amount to seven, eight yards because he doesn't have that explosion. James Cook has that ability to make one person miss, and he is gone. And you saw that today. The last run of the game was the one that put him over 100 yards. I don't expect the Bills running game to be the strength of the offense going forward, but against an opponent like this, Luca, in a setting like this, it was nice to see that the Bills had that club in their bag. It's when you need it, it shows up. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I look at with the running game. I will say it was very noticeable on when Latavis Murray was out on the field. It was the most eye-popping thing to me on when it was happening because um, your average fan, us included in that statement, it's kind of like, well, when you're in and goal situations, you would expect Damian Harris, Damian Harris on the depth chart to be the individual there. And all of a sudden, early on, it's Latavis Murray. Uh, in money downs, all of a sudden, when you need to have it, it's Latavis Murray in there. And you're just like, okay, there's something here. We saw it already when they needed to have it in those money downs late in the game in the Monday night game to drive down and get the tying field goal. Latavis Murray was in at that point. It was frustrating to someone that had a little bit of a sprinkle in there in some parlays with some James Cook anytime touchdown because I really felt like that was the play here. But overall, um, James Cook showed who he is. I love what I call the B.A. Bruce Arian sprint halfback delays. And what I mean by that is it's what we saw in overtime and was the wrong time to do it. But those are a great play for a guy like James Cook where he can still kind of start on the outside shoulder of the guard and you have Allen just sprinting the ball out to him on a delay where he can then take the inside or outside based on the look that is broken down in that second between snap and him receiving the ball. It just kind of is a great, simple run play for a dynamic, speedy running back such as himself. The reason I call it the Bruce Arians halfback delay is because that's kind of the first time we really saw it around the league and is infamously known in my eyes as the one that Andre Ellington took to the house in Seattle while they were still a juggernaut. And we saw the Drew Stanton meme. Shout out that meme, by the way, where he's fist pumping everything. That same delay. Go back, people. Watch it. It's the exact same play. From there, I think it's really exploded in the scene because it's it's shown. I just mentioned Andre Ellington. He's uh, James Cook is a better player, but similar kind of skill set where you have this shifty, speedy guy, and all you're doing is giving them the option to take the outside lane if they need to as the play is breaking, or if somehow an inside lane is there, you can take that space as well. And he is the perfect guy for that run as well as other runs. He's a very dynamic player in the backfield. No one. You know, no one's shocked by that statement. That's not, you know, breaking news or anything of the sorts. But in a game going back to it, where against the Raiders in the matchup, it was there. James Cook's had it. Damian Harris did a great job in his own right. Latavis Murray, honestly, is just a it's a weird gift that keeps on giving, Josh. I don't understand it. It's not something we expected. And I actually am going to feel like we're gonna find ourselves later on in those games against the Bengals, the Chiefs and stuff 
where we're going to be really happy Latavis Murray's on this roster. Sounds crazy to say right now in week two, but I think he's actually showing why they like him. And there's, he, there, he is showing us why he's actually valuable. And it's very early on in simple games. So it was fun to see the running game actually excel. And Josh Allen was only a minor footnote among it all. Yeah, Latavius Murray has such a unique skill set. He's such a huge human being that actually still has some good juice to his game. I want to talk about Gabe Davis because one of my keys to this game was Gabe Davis had to get going. And we talked about it on Bill's, Bill's chat live on Friday that there's an advantageous matchup for Gabe Davis and Diggs in this matchup because Marcus Peters is 30 years old. He's not in his prime anymore. And Jacorian Bennett was a fourth round rookie from this past draft playing because of an injury in the secondary. So that's set up as matchups that Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs could take advantage of. But schematically, the way the Raiders play is they do force you to use that intermediate and medium level route tree. Could Gabe Davis present himself as a reliable target in the medium range and be a, a good target volume guy versus a three for 100 day that we've seen time and time again from Gabe Davis? And what I like overall about the weapons in this game, Luca. Gabe Davis, seven targets, six for 92. Stefan Diggs, seven targets, seven for 66. Dalton Kincaid, six targets, five for 43. James Cook, four targets, four for 36. The ball was spread around. The playmakers you want involved got involved. I mean, this was really a, I don't want to say perfect because there were some things we can nitpick, I guess. But if you could draw it up when the Bills drafted Kincaid, what this would look like, the target distribution, maybe digs a little bit heavier, but they didn't need digs a lot today. The other guys stepped up. Gabe Davis specifically in this matchup had the big touchdown on fourth down where he caught it in traffic, held on to it, a play we saw him miss many times last year. Um, I thought this was a very strong day for him. He has to build on it now. We can't go into Washington next week against another very beatable secondary and have Gabe Davis go two for 20. We need to see him continue to build on this and be that reliable week in, week out number two wide receiver. But this was a fantastic start for a guy that is in a contract year and I still think has a lot to prove. Yeah, I, I think if we were to nitpick anything, I don't want to be that negative about the game, but I will say this right. is the first thing that comes to mind. If we have to nitpick anything with Gabe Davis. It still seems like, and shout out my one friend Goff who says this, and I'm with him a thousand percent still seems like he makes catches seem harder than they are at times, at least with his hands. There's just something going on there where it doesn't look as fluid as you would expect. And I'm not even comparing that to a Stefan Diggs where just everything seems to come in soft or a Devonte Adams, like on the other side where it's just always just money. It's just, you, you, you know what it looks like when an NFL receiver is catching a ball in the hands and Gabe Davis just, it doesn't feel as easy all the time. And it just seems like, I don't know what it is exactly. You can't pinpoint it, but that's what it is. That's the nitpick. But overall, I'm with you. I, I think seeing him as that reliable target. I mean, the the nice thing is seven targets, six catches for 99, 92 yards. The six on seven targets. Whereas it felt like last year, you'd see that seven target share and it would lead to four catches and two drops. Like that's what it felt like it would happen at times. And then when you see those two drops, that's why you'd all of a sudden see Diggs getting those 11 targets because Allen really felt the only reliable target out there that he could, you know, on a dime understand would catch the ball was Diggs. And then to get on the secondary receiving topic here, I love you didn't bring up one guy, five targets for three catches, 10 yards and a touchdown. That's Dawson Knox. It feels like Dawson Knox's value on this team 
and what we understand would be is kind of a reliable target for Allen in the red zone. I mean, the first incompletion, of course, where he his eyes went to when in a split seconds notice, he just needed to get the ball out, went to Knox. He finds Knox for the one touchdown as well. It's like that is still him and his value. And then in between the 20s, Josh, it's Kincaid. He finds Kincaid yeah. in those little areas. And Kincaid, to me, no disrespect to Knox, I just like him in the open field more so than a Dawson Knox. I think he can make more out of those underneath throws, out of those opportunities that you would find Knox in previous years doing so. So I love seeing that where it's six for five and 43, and it really feels like Kincaid's usage, like I said, is inside the 20s. And then once you get in the red zone, that's more where Josh goes back to his dependable knocks. And you have a true DK bro situation where they have their unique or individual jobs that combined, you get incredible usage out of the tight end position as a whole. And then you have your Davis and Diggs out wide, both being dependable targets in their own rights. And then James Cook just to sprinkle on a little bit in there out of the backfield. It's a wonderful arsenal that it feels like we haven't had for a long time. And it's funny because we talked about, ooh, could Trent Sherfield be a dependable target and stuff? And we need Gabe Davis, as you said, to now build on this where we're not thinking, hey, when is Trent Sherfield finally going to get his time a little bit out right. there? Like, no, we're good to go. Everything's sitting okay. Yeah, and what's interesting about Dalton Kincaid is – I think a lot of us thought his path to playing time was the Bills using more 12 personnel, which they did last week. They did this week too. But I saw Dalton Kincaid out there quite a bit when there was only one tight end on the field and the Bills were in 21 personnel and Kincaid was in line. There was one formation. They had three tight ends on the field. I think there was a penalty that negated that play, but there was multiple times they were in 11 personnel. Kincaid was the only tight end on the field. They clearly have a plan for Kincaid. There was some concern when he was drafted, Luca, that, okay, it's a second tight end. This is a formation, a package that they didn't use a lot last year. They're going to ease him in. Tight ends historically don't hit the ground running. The Bills have had a calculated plan, and clearly, 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 Dalton Kincaid is a big part of their offense. I honestly believe we are not too far away from Dalton Kincaid having a monster game. Oh, 100%. I, I think Dalton Kincaid's monster game, I think, is dependent on matchup. And, and it's not saying that the Raiders were a bad matchup, but I think there will just be a time where Kincaid's skills and understanding of the offense and everything, which is already in a very good spot, will then translate on a great matchup for him to a big breakout game. And it's it's like the start we've had for Kincaid already is one that I imagined and is one that I pictured when I just put a long shot bet at, oh man, I wish I had it in front of me, but I have a ticket out there. I have a slip in futures where it's Dalton Kincaid as rookie of the year, which is normally a quarterback one award, right? It's, it's one that you normally see a quarterback and or an explosive wide receiver. My mind on that, by the way, plus 4,500, um, pretty crazy, honestly, but it's like if he is able to understand the offense early on, if he's able to look like he's comfortable early on, as you're saying, it almost feels inevitable that he can have a breakout game. And then if so, he can build on a breakout game that can seem like it's going to happen. The sky's the limit with him, even in his rookie year, when, as you also mentioned, tight ends do not normally come out, you know, blazing when it comes to their rookie season. He just doesn't feel like your average tight end. He doesn't even feel like a tight end. He just feels like a big receiver that understands the tight end position. And it's a beautiful thing in this offense because it feels like it's exactly what this offense needed. Dawson Knox is kind of that 
fun weapon as a tight end, but it's not a big receiver at tight end. No disrespect to Dawson Knox. It's not what I mean, like as he's not good enough to be a receiving target. It's just at times was not there for you or maybe just for whatever reason, Allen couldn't feel he could depend on it in the open field as much. Whereas Kincaid clearly has that rapport right out the gate. He's very dependable in the open field. You want him to have the ball in his hands. There's going to be times where, you know, obviously they're designing stuff to get the ball into his hands because he's just another weapon that you need to remind the defense is out there, which then, of course, opens up your digs, opens up your Davis, opens up James Cook out coming out of the backfield. And when you just you you never can have too many weapons. And when you keep introducing all of them to every defense, they just don't know what to do. And they're always on their heels rather than on their toes. So we're encouraged by what we're seeing from Kincaid. I will nitpick one player on offense that I'm very con- confused by his usage. Deontay Hardy. He's a guy that in New Orleans was a bit of a deep threat. I mean, he, he ran the full route tree, but I think he's a guy that can get deep on a defense and can really stretch the field. And the Bills are using him, Luca, like they think he's Isaiah McKenzie 2.0. And they're they're throwing him bubble screens in the backfield. They're throwing him quick little hitch routes. And to, uh, his stats on the year, to kind of back that up here, I'm looking at it right here on Pro Football Reference. Um, he had three receptions for nine yards last week. And then today against the Raiders, Deontay Hardy had two receptions for four yards. And I, I don't think that's his skill set. I don't think that's his strength. You look at his A dot this year, it does say it's 12.3, but that's because he, he gets credit for having one deep ball that Josh Allen should have never thrown into double coverage. But I can't imagine this was the plan for Hardy when they signed him. I, I feel like there, there's more in the bag, and it's still very early. Um, but at least early on, I'm a bit confused at why they're treating Hardy like they think he's Isaiah McKenzie, because I think he brings a lot more to the table. I don't know if you should feel like there's more in the bag and I'll, I'll explain why. And this is not a good thing, by the way, this is not good at all. If you pay attention a little bit further into those stats, all three of his targets in those two catches today, if you really think about it, and I obviously would have to look at the all 22 and stuff just to confirm this, but I know the two catches, at least I'm almost positive off the top of my head. He's lined up in the backfield. He's lined up, you know, next to Josh Allen. Last week, the times that they were orchestrating times to get him the ball were out of the backfield. Like you said, there was the one deep shot look that Allen had no reason or business throwing. He absolutely shouldn't have done it, which affects some of his other stats. And I'm assuming he was lined up wide in that situation. But overall, the times that they're really trying to get the ball into his hands by design, he's lined up in the backfield. And to me, that indicates that I almost question more if Dorsey understands how to use a player of his skill set. I really don't know if he understands the kind of weapon he is. I don't know if he knows what to do with that kind of player. And it's, it just seems like maybe Dorsey needs to reevaluate how to use a little gadget speed, like individual, because as you're mentioning, it does feel kind of McKenzie. Like it feels like you're trying to over, compensate for the gadget feel that they have and it's like no they can play wide receiver too you can have him do other things in the route tree you can have him run go routes and actually design shots to this individual because he can take the top off of a defense and i don't know if dorsey trusts that kind of individual 
for whatever unknown reason. And the thing I highlight in thinking that right now at this point in time is the fact that the only time they're really designing plays to him, he's lined up in the backfield. He's not even actually lined out wide as a wide receiver. And that is a red flag to me overall. Yeah, I agree. So it does seem like Hardy does outrank Sherfield and Shakir at this point, just based on the snap count. But it'll be interesting to see how they continue to use him because you have to imagine the contract they gave him, the way that they targeted him in free agency, that you have to hope there's a better plan than this. Granted, they signed him before they ever drafted Dalton Kincaid, so maybe that threw a loop into everything. We shall see. One more offensive player I want to mention is really a unit. The offensive line, I thought, played very well today. We mentioned the running game. Josh Allen was sacked twice, uh, both of which were result of blitzes. Diablo got in absolutely clean and Josh Allen had no chance. You do see a little bit too much free rushers come in on this Bills team. According to next gen stats, they were in the bottom third of the league last year as far as free rushers allowed. But I thought the Bills offensive line held up well in pass protection. And Luca, the fact that Spencer Brown, we know, popped in the run game. He was lined up over Max Crosby the majority of the game. We didn't hear Max Crosby's name once. I always want to go back and watch it before I evaluate an offensive lineman, but this felt like a big step in the right direction game for Spencer Brown. It was a good, we talked about how it was a get right game for Josh Allen. I, I felt like it was the same for Spencer Brown. The fact that I didn't find myself complaining about him once, like you said, Max Crosby, their only game record on that defense had a quiet day overall. I believe he had actually, I'm going to look this up. I remember because we do IDPs in a fantasy league. I'm in individual defensive players. If you're unfamiliar with that terminology and we laughed because Max Crosby actually had yeah, six tackles, which was like, oh, wow, did he really have six tackles? And I was like, yeah. And looking back on it, I believe it was because we, for whatever reason, kept trying to run to his side, which, as you mentioned, Spencer Brown was having a decent day in his own right. But I mean, if they only have one edge game record, I'd probably not run towards him overall as much as possible. That is probably the strength side when it comes to your run because you have Torrance and Spencer Brown, both more kind of athletic, well, more Brown with the athletic part, but both good run blockers. They can overwhelm individuals on the defensive line that you can probably trust yourself running to that side more so than Dawkins side and um, McGovern. So what I what I will say is, Keeping him quiet, everything like that with Spencer Brown, that is fine and perfect and all like that. And then just real quick, Divine Diablo, sweet-ass name. As soon as he yeah. made the one play, I was like, man, I just want this guy because I want to root for him because that is just a baller name, Divine Diablo. Shout out him. Nice little pop he had there. Good for him and everything. And that, by the way, in my on that play, if anyone even remotely criticized anything, I thought that was just a really well-designed blitz by mm -hmm. the Raiders. That what they did is they just had the assignments for the offensive line, pick the right assignments that they should based on the look on the line, and then it just created that massive gap between Brown and Torrance. It is what it is. That's just a well-designed blitz, and he executed it perfectly. So it just is what it is. Shout out Diablo, though. Sweet, sweet-ass name. He sounds like a Mortal Kombat character, right? Like somebody yeah. you would choose to go against <laughs> Punisher or whatever those guys' names are. I didn't really play that game too much growing up, but it's what it sounds like to me. All right, the last thing on the offense that I was very impressed with, look, it, it it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with how conservative it felt like the Bills were last week. There was a fourth and two early in the game that people thought the Bills should have gone for. This week, Luca, the Bills went for four four fourth downs. They were three for four, and they were very, very efficient in the red zone where they needed to be because the Raiders 
last season gave up 66% touchdowns in the red zone. That is an atrocious number. And the Bills made them pay today every time they were down there, except twice, once there was a Tyler Bass field goal. And then once there was the play you talked about earlier where Deontay Hardy comes in motion, he slips, kind of threw off the timing of the play. And then Allen had to kind of throw up a prayer to Knox that didn't have a chance to be complete. But otherwise, the Bills were money in this game on fourth downs in the red zone. And it was just good to see the aggressive mindset of Sean McDermott come back. I know there's concern like, okay, it's one thing to be aggressive at home against the Raiders when you're nearly a 10-point favorite. Um, We need to see Sean McDermott continue to be aggressive against these teams that are in the Bills' weight class, much like they were last week against the Jets. Um, Overall, do you think McDermott will continue to be this aggressive coach, or do you think this is more of a, I know I have a limited opponent here, so why not flex my muscles a bit? No, I, it's the, it's the first point um, yeah. you, we talked about it in our pregame show where you had mentioned that you want to see obviously a much more productive red zone um, offense than what we saw in the Monday night game, which we did see. And I, I tailed off of that and basically said, I want to see the aggressiveness again. I want to see this team look like they understand that they trust themselves to pick up a yard or two. Unlike what we saw in that fourth and two situation on the 22 of the jets early on in the game. And they settled for a field goal to go up 13 to three. It's like, no, we, (laughs) you know, you can do that, man. Like let's, let's understand what we can do because we can pick up those two yards. And I think that's something that moving forward, it is what it is. I, I would say reflecting back on the jets game, Maybe in that situation, they just really felt like they were fighting tooth and nail for every inch they could get. And they felt like two yards was more like six yards in that instance. They shouldn't ever feel that way. Two yards, by the way, it doesn't all of a sudden magically become six yards. It's still two yards. Um, You should trust yourself to pick up two yards with Josh Allen. And overall, it was nice to see them go back to that. And I expect them to continue doing that moving forward understanding who they are as a team, no matter what defense they're playing against, no matter what team they're playing against, they need to be more aggressive because then you can have the performances like you did today, where you can essentially establish yourself from start to finish and just do take care of what you need to take care of. And that is a big part of that. So we are eight quarters into this season. We are two games into this season and the bills defense has given up two touchdowns. The other touchdown last week was a kick return, punt return in overtime. There was the touchdown to Garrett Wilson that he bobbled and then caught it. And then there was a touchdown today to Devontae Adams. Um, you know, we talked about all offseason. This was a good defense under Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier that just ran out of their bodies last week, last season. They were getting Hyde back. They were getting Poyer to full health. Another year of Tredavious White coming off of his injury. Uh, Daquan Jones coming back. Von Miller will eventually be back. They added Leonard Floyd to the mix. And, you know, not exactly two stellar offenses that they face so far between the Raiders and the Jets, but so far so good. And Luca, to me, the absolute stamp on this game was the run defense. There was a lot of concern about the run defense last week. I think when you look under the hood at the numbers, there was that one long run by Brees Hall where the bills were misaligned. And other than that, the run numbers actually looked pretty palatable. They were less than four yards per carry. I know you take away the one long run. Every team can do that every week. It's hard to do, but overall I thought the run defense was a little bit um, overblown is how bad it was last week. But man, this week, the NFL rushing leader from last season, Jocks Jacobs comes to town and he finishes the day with nine carries for negative two yards, Luca. And boy, oh boy, 
a lot of times you look at a stat after a game ends and you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't feel that didn't feel that bad. No, no, no. Watching this game. It felt every bit of negative two yards. Every time they handed the ball to him, it felt like he was being tackled behind the line of scrimmage. There was great gap discipline. I thought guys like Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver and Gregory Rousseau absolutely popped. And this was an absolute home run day for this run defense. Yeah. I mean, Josh Jacobs holding him to negative yards, you know, making him feel like Reggie Bush in Buffalo. Shout oh, out. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, Memories. Yeah. <laughs> um, holding him nine carries and negative two yards with, by the way, a three yard run on the card with that. So that means eight carries for negative five yards is mm -hmm. actually, if you want to reduce it just a little bit to make it sound sweeter. Um, that's one. That was clearly the conceded effort when it comes to a defensive game plan. You don't just do that because you had a really good day. It's like that was clearly the game plan. And then two, that's to me awesome to see. It felt like we would play teams in years past where it was like, hey, the game plan should clearly be take away the run and just try to make them get you over top and get you through the air. And even when you know the game plans that and it really felt like the game plan was trying to be that. They wouldn't be able to do that successfully or at least to a point where it felt like you were actually completely dominating them on the run game. This one was from start to finish. I mean, it started with the very first play and even Ed Oliver, a guy we like to, you know, troll a little bit, showed up, blew up a guy. He, he should absolutely blow up in Van Roten and then, you know, made it kind of a living hell for the run game with the Raiders. I mean, they have one run on the card Tucker for a 34 yard run. Eliminate that one. And they had a total, a total of 21 yards on the ground between uh, Garoppolo with a one yard run uh, white who had four carries for 22 yards, kind of more of their change of pace guy. And then as we're talking about nine carries for negative two yards with Josh Jacobs. So it's just one of those situations in that tip of the cap, Unbelievable performance by all of the defensive line. Rousseau, Epinesa, individuals. I mean, Rousseau obviously is known for a very, very good edge run defender. But Epinesa even stepped up in that scenario in the run defense where I feel like that's not exactly his strength. Daquan Jones, of course. Ed Oliver, who also, again, not exactly the strongest run defender, showed up. It was just a very, very, very good performance overall by the defense. And it was, it was to me... In this game, we wanted to see Allen do his thing. You know, it was nice to see Spencer Brown kind of step up a little bit. The sh the most surprising thing, the thing that it feels like we we wouldn't see this in years past was actually effectively taking away a run game. That is something I feel like we haven't had the ability of in the Sean McDermott era for the most part. Maybe you can go back to 2019 and say that that was possible in that era of defense. But other than that, I really don't remember a time in this era that we could really shut down a, a run game completely like this. And that is it's frightening to think about if this defense were to be able to do that, you know, week in, week out against other teams that are known to work around the run game like your Tennessee's and stuff. If they can continue to do that, Josh, it's scary to think just how good this defense really could be. Oh, I'm with you. And they made a schematic change today to my eye. I want to go back and chart it, but it did not look like Taylor Rapp got on the field at all until the end when the backups were coming in. And last week when the Jets went heavy or base, they brought in Taylor Rapp a lot instead of Taron Johnson. Today they left in Taron Johnson for all the nickel snaps. And when the when the Raiders went heavy, they brought out um, Tyrell Dodson 
as a strong side linebacker instead of Taylor Rapp. I thought that was interesting. Kind of a shame that the Bills backups came in the last couple of drives because it will skew the snap numbers. I was very curious because I even tweeted out from our podcast account, I don't think Taylor Rapp's been on the field yet. And that was in the middle of the fourth quarter, but I think he probably ended up logging like 10 or 11 snaps just in garbage time. I will say he was out on the field when Micah Hyde had to come out or at some point, and he was the yeah. one that popped uh booty pop in the face. Was it Devontae Adams? Oh, he got the flag. Who. Yeah, he was the one that got the flag. He was the one that absolutely speared. Yeah, it was Devontae Adams. Yeah. He absolutely just <laughs> went right through Devontae Adams' face. Absolutely a flag, by the way. <laughs> like, oh, 100% a flag. Yeah. He was the one, though, that did that. So he was out there, but for like a handful of stuff, as you're saying. I didn't mean to step over, but yeah. No, you're good. He didn't play any meaningful snaps for the most part until once the backups were in. And none of that box uh, nickelback stuff that we saw last week in the big nickel. So it was not good last week for Taylor Rapp. I will say one concern I had about the defense, Luca, not a huge concern, uh, but I, I would have liked to see the defensive line dominate a little bit more in pass rush. It did not feel like there was even a lot of pressure. And look, maybe this is just a good Raiders offensive line because last week they only gave up four pressures to the Broncos. They didn't give up any sacks, no sacks today. So no sacks through two weeks against two defenses that at least league wide are highly respected. The Broncos and the bills. I don't know if the Broncos are as good as people think they gave up 30 plus points to the commanders today. Um, but um, I would have liked to see guys like Floyd and um, Rousseau win more. Uh, honestly, every time I watched Epinesa, he was getting swallowed up by Colton Miller. Um, Epinesa to me, it just, I'm I'm tired of hearing about how good he looks in the summer and then the games start and it's like, okay, where is he? Um, I, I feel like this is his last season as a Buffalo bill. And that kind of is what it is, but that's kind of nitpicky. I will say through two games, I think Ed Oliver's had a really strong start to this season, no sacks yet, but I, he's popping in the run game. He's getting good penetration. And I think Ed Oliver, a, a guy that signed a $68 million deal this off season, a lot of us were like, you need to be more consistent than just Thanksgiving. So far, so good. Not the two best offensive lines in the world. Um, you know, another not so good offensive line coming up next week against the Commanders, and we'd like to see it, him carry that through. Uh, what else do we have on the defense here? You know what we can talk about, Luca? You mentioned Micah Hyde. Let's get it out now. Micah Hyde, we do have a couple injuries to talk about. Micah Hyde left the game late with a hamstring injury, and Leonard Floyd left the game late with a leg injury. Now, what's tricky about that is it was right around the point where the game got out of hand. So there was no reason to bring back Micah Hyde or Leonard Floyd. So you can't read into the fact that neither one of them came back into the game, but Micah Hyde being a 32 year old football player, hamstring injuries can linger. Um, you know, I'm not as concerned about him getting back in time for the commanders. I, I, I think the bills should be fine with what they have, but man, that dolphins team is coming up in two weeks and I would love to see the bills get Micah Hyde and Leonard Floyd back for that game. Uh, Leonard Floyd was trying to walk it off on the sidelines, never got back in. But again, that could just be circumstances where they're like, it's, it's just not worth it at this point in time. We'll have to wait to the middle of the week, Luca, but impact on this defense. If Micah Hyde or Leonard Floyd had to miss a little bit of time. Um, it's, it's significant. Leonard Floyd is a big piece, you know, yeah. and I, I made him my X factor when it came to the jets game, he was an X factor in a way that none of us could have predicted, obviously. Um, but he is definitely significant. And then when you really just look at it and if he can get back healthy by the time where Von Miller is also back and you have Rousseau, Leonard Floyd and Vaughn as your trio of edges, AJ Epinesa's conversation doesn't really matter at that point, as long as they can stay healthy, because that might be one of the best trios of edge you could possibly have in this league somehow in the cap era. 
Um, Micah Hyde situation, I'm with you a thousand percent. I don't know if necessarily we need to care too, too much when it, you, you always want him back, but like the commanders with, you know, Terry McLaurin and, you know, Jahan Dotson and stuff. It's like, would Poyer and Rap or whomever be able to handle the duties for that week just to make sure he's 100% for the Dolphins? You would hope so. What I will say is, as we're recording this and people understand we're recording this, uh, Jalen Waddle took a big shot to the head. Um, that is something to monitor moving forward. Just, you know, hopefully it's not too, too bad, but it was a massive shot to the head. And um, that could be something. Dolphins just missed a kick to go up 10, by the way, 214 left. Um, just if you want to know exactly when we're recording this. But, yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully everything's okay with Jalen Waddle. Yeah, hopefully hate, everything's hate okay. That. But that would be significant as well. Just bring that up now because you're yeah. talking about that is what that is the game with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and everything that that offense has. Clearly a very, very scary offense with Miami. You would like to make sure that Micah Hyde is 100% or as close to 100% as possible for that game and available for that game because that is a heck of a lot more important for us than the commanders because you would hope Rap Hamlin being active potentially, whatever the situation may be with Poyer, should be able to get you through the Sam Howell-led offense that is the commanders. All right. Well, you mentioned Jalen, Jalen Waddle. You mentioned some of these receivers and one guy responsible for covering those guys is Tredavious White. Luca through two games, small sample size. Uh, we talked about, you know, concerns about Tredavious White coming back to his all pro form. You and I both predicted he probably won't get there, but I, I think we both agreed that maybe he'll at least be like a high end level starter for this year as, as he starts to slowly tail off because he is reaching that age cliff. What have you seen from Tredavious White through the first couple games this season? I'm worried. Yeah. I, I'm just going to be honest. I'm worried. So Trey White is his bench. The reason he was all pro Trey, like the reason he was unbelievable, known as one of the top corners, was he was a perfect kind of Sean McDermott corner. He was a perfect press cover two corner. Right. That is exactly he was the best, honestly, like your your Richard Sherman and your Trey White. Like, that's what those guys are. Lengthy, athletic, very smart corners that look, they're not the fastest people out there, but they're really good at jamming you up, understanding their job, keeping their eyes in the backfield while also understanding their zone assignment. Trey's legs are no longer there, and that is a problem. His physical under abilities might not even be out there again. You say small sample size. What we saw today was concerning, but again, he was against Devonte Adams at times. Yeah. And it was like, look, that is Devonte Adams. Like, you know, big athletic, perfect wide receiver. When it comes to what would you like in a receiver these days? If you can't pick and choose from a multiple guys, it's like, that's a tough, tough matchup. But if you're not able to be trusted in press anymore, because you're going to get burnt over top, and your legs really aren't there to get the angles you and you need to do and take anymore. There are big, big question marks on how reliable you actually can be. And Trey was an open field tackle machine. He was very, very dependable in that. And if you're not getting the angles you need to, and it's getting to the second level being the safeties in this case, a lot more than it used to, there is reason to be concerned. And it's, it's just one of those things where Trey white to me, in my opinion, and maybe it will happen for others as time goes. And I hope I want to be proven wrong on this point, by the way, I absolutely want to be proven wrong, but I know we've had this discussion behind the scenes, but overall Trey white, I don't believe is any more the best corner on this team. Christian Benford at this moment in time 
is the best, most dependable corner on this roster. And e- even today, there was a perfect comparison. Devontae Adams gets Trey White. Like, he just gets him. It was early on. It happens. Like I said, Devontae Adams, one of the best. Christian Benford actually gets beat, not by Devontae Adams, but he gets beat, but he has the ability, while he's even kind of stumbling, to recover, play smart defensively, not just fall into the receiver and get a P.I., break up the pass, and also keep the receiver outside where it would have been very difficult for him to get two feet in bounds. That is something a very good, very, very good corner understands how to do, even when they're not in the perfect position to start when the ball's in the air. That, to me is the moment you can highlight and go, he is our best corner on the field currently, on the roster currently. And Trey, I definitely have some red flags. I definitely have some concerns. It's I want it to be proven wrong once again. I want to say that one, one more time. I hope he can turn things around. It's just now between last week, this week, what we saw at the end of last year, I do wonder if really what left is – what left is there in the tank that is Trey White's career and just abilities? And can he even be one of those higher end starters in this league moving forward? It's a fascinating conversation. I, I think he's probably a guy that can get the bills through this season, but it's a reason why I'm not ready to give up on Kyrie Elam because not only does Kyrie Elam have those unteachable skills. Oh my goodness. I'm watching the Patriots desperately try to get this first down. I'm sorry, folks. That was an amazing play, and they might actually have gotten it, and that would be fantastic. I'm sorry. You probably already know what happened. Luke is watching it, too, and they did. That was incredible. Um, this Patriots-Dolphins game is wild. Uh, but, no, that's why you know we, we've talked about, like, if the Bills get a starting cornerback out of that draft, that's a really good job, and it looks like they've gotten that in Christian Benford. But let's be greedy. Let's continue to develop Kyrie Elam because – realistically speaking, the bills are going to need both of these guys because of the age of the secondary. And maybe there's a scenario, Luca, where Tredavious White's legs don't come back and they transition him to safety. You've seen that happen with guys like the McCordy brothers. That happens all the time with older safeties happened to Charles Woodson later in his career. Sean McDermott loves safeties that used to play cornerback. Look at Cam Lewis. He's playing safety for them now. So that's certainly, I think within, within the range of outcomes and Tredavious White as an older corner is a younger safety. So I think that that's a way to extend his career. If he'd be open to that, a lot of different ways this can go, but that's certainly worth monitoring. My point of this game where to me, not only did it feel over, but it, it just felt like you just wanted to be so proud of this team was the third quarter because the bills started off with a 21 to 10 lead. They had just gone down, had the Shakir touchdown at the end of the second quarter. They come out in the third quarter. They go on a nine-minute drive, Luca, and they cap it off with a fourth down pass to Gabe Davis in the end zone. The Raiders come out, run four plays. On the fourth play, it's the Matt Milano jumping over Josh Jacobs' interception. And then the Bills burn up the rest of the third quarter, kick a field goal at the start of the fourth quarter. So if you're keeping score at home, the Bills essentially scored 10 points in the fourth quarter, taking an 11-point lead and making it a 21-point lead, and the Raiders had four plays in that quarter. That is what good teams have to do to mediocre teams. The Bills didn't just win this game. They essentially choked the life out of the Raiders in that spot, and they did the direct opposite of what they did last week where they allowed the Jets to hang around by making mistakes. They just continued play after play to remind the Raiders 
we're better than you. We are enforcing our will on you. And this is not going to be a game where you come back on us because we are just going to keep that clock moving, keep the ball moving, and we are going to score at the end of this drive. And there is nothing you can do about it. And this is not a brand of football we are used to these Bills playing. They have been a high-octane, quick-strike offense. And this was something that really excited me. And I know that you have some stats you'd like to go over that really outline the second half as a whole. But I thought the third quarter was a thing of beauty. And uh, let me know what you have to say about the Bills' performance uh, in the second half, third quarter, whatever whatever you think about that. Yeah, I mean, the second half overall was something – It's. I feel like it's not going to be something discussed. Maybe it will. And maybe it will be proven wrong, whether it's on WGR with all the personalities there with other podcasts and other, so, you know, individuals in the bills world, maybe it will be brought up in national media attention, but it's to me, the second half is what anyone should understand and realize when it comes to the bills and be like, look, this is, this is domination. This is what it is. Um, Cole strange didn't get that first down and that's a damn shame. Cause that's why you draft a guy like him in the first round, Josh, to pick yeah. up those key crucial first. Downs. That's what they envisioned for him. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't want to get that shot in there, but I did want to, um, what so, was it called back for, by the way? Cause it looked like on replay that he got it. No, he didn't. He was short. He, line he, of, he was short of the hit. line of game. Okay. Yeah. His knee goes down and he's short of the line again. Okay. Um, so overall though, like, 15 plays, 75 yards, touchdown in nine minutes, nine, yeah, nine minutes, one second. Like you mentioned, then the Raiders get the ball, four plays. Matt Milano gets the interception in two minutes and 10 seconds. They kill off the rest of the third quarter, nine plays, 37 yards, kick that field goal to start the fourth. Um, then the Raiders, four, basic, four plays, 17 yards, punt 216. You then follow that up with an 11 play, 95 yard drive that you capitalize a touchdown on it's essentially gg at that point that is you know the game is over you have a 28 point lead it's done and dusted you can do what you need to do then you still at that point in time when the raiders you're giving them soft coverage and whatnot you still force a turnover five plays 60 yards with the fumble 249 left or 249 in that drive the Raiders had a total of 13 plays called in that second half. It's something that was highlighted at length about the Rams and the Seahawks in week one. And it deserves to be mentioned when it comes to this, the Seahawks in that Ram Seahawks game that everyone was like, this is crazy. The Seahawks were awful. It was the worst second half of football we've ever seen. Now the yardage is actually with that, with the Seahawks is that what made it even on top, but they only ran I believe it was 12 plays in the second half in that Ram Seahawks game week one. The Raiders ran 13 plays. It's more of what you would expect in this matchup. So it's not going to be talked about as much, I believe, in my eyes, but it's still it deserves its moment. It deserves to be mentioned. That is a team effort that gives you an accomplishment like that. And it is absolutely what is deserved to be highlighted and kind of given as the reason not only did the bills win, but they dominated as they finished off this game and made sure they put their emphatic stamp of a W on that, put a, a number, a number one in the win column and hopefully can build on it moving forward due to that second half. Well, speaking of putting things on this game, let's put a bow on this game with our favorite segment of Bill's chat. We didn't get to do one last week because we weren't in the post-game slot, but here we are, and it's time for our favorite segment of the week, game balls and game checks. And if you're new to Bill's chat, this is the way this works. 
Game Ball is officially your MVP. It's very simple. They, this is the player that gets our Game Ball for their performance in the game today. Game Check, the direct opposite. The LVP, if you will. And the meaning is the player essentially has to hand over their Game Check. I am going to say we can no longer call this the Zach Moss Memorial Award because now it's a new season. And Zachary Moss, filling in for Jonathan Taylor today, had 90 yards and a touchdown. So good for him. Happy to see that for his career. All right, Luca, who gets your game ball for their performance in the Bills' 38-10 to 10 victory today? It, it, it might feel like a cop-out, Josh. I'll be honest. It might feel like it. And it feels like you normally, we've said it in the past, a lot of times you could most likely give it to this individual and it makes most sense and stuff. But to me, the only time I'm going to give it to the individual that I give it to is when the rest of the team does their job very, very well and everything, but no one kind of stood out as the emphatic reason of why we won. And it comes back to the face of the franchise and it comes back to the leader of this team. And that is Josh Allen. Josh Allen gets my game ball because quite simply he had to have this bounce back game for his own sake. I imagine and he did so in such an incredible way. He was near perfect, as we talked about earlier in the episode. And everyone else just did their part around Josh Allen on the offense. And then also on the opposite side of the ball, the defense, where it was a complete team win. And I'm not going to sit here and go, well, I want to give the game ball to the whole team. So just give it to the face of the team who also had a great day himself and needed to have a great day for his own personal psyche. So I'm giving my game ball to Josh Allen. That makes sense. I, I mean, honestly, when you look at the way this game was, the player with the most pressure was Josh Allen, especially with the way last week went. Had he had another stinker, or another couple turnovers, the conversation would have only gotten louder. And, you know, you can only silence doubters so much in a game that you're a 10-point favorite home against the Raiders, but he did everything you wanted him to do in a game today. He was a great facilitator of the football and an efficient day for quarterback one. I have no problem with that handing out to him. Um, I'm going to go with his backfield running bait, James Cook, because James Cook had 130. My box score just got messed up here. Had 133 yards rushing, had another 36 in the air. And I just, I love the way the Bills ran the ball. He's kind of the face of that for this team. And I love how they are finally starting to use him out of the backfield, a weapon in the passing game. To me, he and Dalton Kincaid are their two best space players guys that can make people miss after the catch. You don't see that a lot from other guys on this team. Maybe digs a little bit, Josh Allen for sure, but he doesn't catch the ball. Um, but a really strong performance from James Cook. I thought about Spencer Brown because of the fact that Max Crosby had no sacks. I honestly thought about Ken Dorsey. I thought Ken Dorsey had a really sharp game today, but I'm not going to overthink this one. James Cook career highs in rushing, career highs in total yards, a weapon in the passing game. He's coming along nicely as a blocker. Josh Allen was only sacked twice today. And um, just all in all, for a guy that was picked at the end of the second round last year, is turning into a really nice weapon for these Buffalo Bills. With the good, we got to have some bad. And boy, this is tricky for me today, Luca. Who gets your game check for their performance in the Raiders game? So realistically, it is difficult, but I will say this was the guy that kind of stood out. And I mean, I kind of even interjected a little bit while you were talking about an individual. And that's realistically why I come in, because this individual had a moment where we just needed him to kind of do his job in the meantime while dealing with, you know, Micah being out and Taylor Rapp, unfortunately, in that limited action goes and 
absolutely deservingly gets a flag by leaving his feet and just putting his face through Devonte Adams down the field at a point where it's just completely unnecessary. You also have another individual in coverage right next to you with this situation. It didn't feel like something where you had to go crazy and really attack the receiver and the ball at that point in time. Um, and, and it's, Look, it's not like he's on the field all the time and stuff like that, and it's really nitpicking, but at the same time, that's one of those things you just don't want to see happen. Like, you don't want to see Taylor Rapp coming in there and just doing that. He's going to hear from the league office, I imagine. He's going to get a fine for that hit, for that situation. They mentioned it on the broadcast, and I would agree with that. Normally, when commentators say that kind of stuff, I'm like, all right, let, let's, let's let the business handle itself and not try to, like, speculate. But it was worth being brought up because when you saw it live, when you saw the replay and everything, it always fit the same. It's like, yeah, that's a flag 100%. Yes, that's a personal foul, obviously. And then, of course, that is most likely going to be fine because that's one of those things that the game is or the league is really just trying to take out of the game. There were a couple of those hits, by the way, around the league that were happening today that you saw that. And it's like, what are we doing here? That's absolutely something you know you shouldn't be doing at this point. And yet players are still finding themselves doing it. So just for that. And, you know, it was a really well uh, done game by the team overall. That's one moment that just sticks out to me. So Taylor Rapp, turn in your game check, bud. I have no problem with that. I thought he was really bad last week too. He may get a chance to redeem himself next week. If Micah Hyde can't go with that hamstring injury and the bills will certainly need Taylor Rapp to step up and play better than he has for the first two weeks. Uh, my game check again, this is a tough one. There, there wasn't a lot of bad today. I'm going to go with Trent Sherfield. And it really has nothing to do with catches. He had none. Um, it feels like he's behind Deontay Hardy pretty significantly in the third wide receiver race. Khalil Shakir even got in the end zone today. But with Trent Sherfield, not only is he not really a part of the offense, but he was directly responsible for the Bills having to burn a timeout in the, th in the third quarter. You hate to have to burn those second half timeouts, even though in a game that you win 38 to 10, it doesn't really matter. He couldn't get lined up right, and they had to call timeout. There was another play that he couldn't get lined up right on, and um, it was Josh Allen and I believe Gabe Davis telling him, no, you have to back up off the line. So, you know, it is what it is. This is this is not an easy game to find a game check, but just for everything involved, for what I thought Trent Sherfield might mean to this offense, for what he's meant so far, I'll give him my game check. Uh, but all in all, I'm very happy with the performance of these Buffalo bills. Speaking of the bills, they now turn their attention to the two and O Washington commanders, a game in Washington next week. Luca and I will be all over that game on the bills chat, YouTube channel. As this week goes on, we will have quick chats on Wednesday and then we will have some form of bills chat live coming up this week still to be determined because Luca our guy Stokes is getting married next weekend and I'm going to the wedding so not only will I not be here on Friday for Bill's chat live but our primary backup our sixth man if you will is in the wedding so he's not going to be here to back us up so we're going to get creative we will put out some sort of a show to to fill that void of that podcast but at this point we're just telling everybody TBD yeah, absolutely. Look, we're going to try to do our best to do something for you. I am kind of in the works here. It's more of me figuring out things on my end, because like you mentioned, 
you know, you have the ability to go to Stokes's wedding, not mine, but it's okay. Oh. You know, shout out. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's just a fun, lighthearted joke. People don't yeah. take anything serious in that, but it is exciting for Stokes. I don't envy it. I mean, it's an exciting time. Of course, enjoy your wedding day. It's going to be the best thing ever when you wake up the next day after shout out you Stokes, but overall, Exciting times here. We're going to have to kind of throw a little bit of curveball at our schedule for all the great reasons that are things in our outside lives, Josh. Um, exciting stuff. We can't wait to get things to people and still try to provide some sort of what we like to do and get our thoughts on the game coming up. That is the commander's game. But overall, obviously, some things just come first when it comes to before the Bills chat stuff that we do. And that thing is pretty dang important. We will let you all know. Follow us on Twitter. Bill's Chat Pod will keep you up to date on the entire schedule this week. There will be another edition of Buffalo Bills Madden 24 franchise coming out on Tuesday morning and Friday morning. Uh, Luca, you have a Sabres chat coming out on Thursday? I do. Absolutely. We, we're in it now, Josh. Like they, I, I, can't, I can't take weeks off anymore. Not that I was trying to intentionally, but mm-hmm. we, we are in it now. Like Sabres are coming back. We had our fan fast, fan fest yesterday by the harbor center as day two of the prospects challenge was going down by the way sabers prospects look very good it is prospects for prospects things like that man matt savoy uh yuri coolidge everyone the the guys look real good it's just getting you so amped up when you see all the highlights online and stuff that's been going down at the harbor center that it's can we just get to hockey already can we get this going and really feel like josh we are in the thick of sports season the prime sports season which by the way that is why october in my mind is the best month because that's when the nhl you know starts off and then you're just in everything and it just feels so dang good and as a lifelong Colorado Buffaloes fan of the last two weeks, um, it's <laughs> nice to have a college rooting interest this year because I am totally into this Deion Sanders thing, even though I'm I'm kidding about being a Colorado Buffaloes fan. I agree with you. October really is the sweet spot because if you're a baseball person, even you have the baseball playoffs, you know, that's something that used to be important to me in what feels like another lifetime ago. But Luca, um, all, all sites now on the Washington Commanders, we'll see if the Bills can take this show on the road and be as efficient against another team. They really should outclass. Uh, defensive line could be an issue coming up. We'll get into all the matchups, all the news and nuggets on this game. We'll, uh, we'll update you on Bill's chat on what's going on with Micah Hyde and Leonard Floyd. And we will see you next Monday morning for Bill's Chat Podcast. Luke and I will be back recapping everything that took place in the Bill's hopefully victory over the Washington commanders that I will have to test out my NFL Sunday ticket app on my phone. Cause I'll be driving back from Indiana riding shotgun with my wife. Hopefully that app does not require you to use your location. Otherwise I'll be looking for an illegal stream. That is another story for another day, but for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bill's chat podcast.